What the hell does he think he's doing? As the car lurched forward, Tom fought to keep control. He's coming at us again, Daddy! The two children in the back screamed as the car behind surged towards them a second time, and the impact sent them hurtling towards the cliff top. Jesus, they were going over! They were going over and there was nothing he could do! In that split second, as he tried desperately to swing the car round, Tom glanced again through his rearview mirror. The car was a blue Hillman Minx, and the driver was crouched over its steering wheel with a Homburg hat pulled low over his forehead and dark glasses hiding his eyes. It was impossible to get any idea of what he looked like. Tom felt the violent impact as they were hit again and again, and he saw his wife, her face shocked with disbelief as she glanced back at their attacker. My God! The other driver showed no mercy. He stayed with them, revving up, sending them forward towards the edge. There was a moment when the car appeared to pause in midair before the nose dipped and they fell into a downward plunge towards the rocks below. Throwing himself across his wife, he yelled for the kids to stay down, hold on to each other. He could hear them sobbing and the soft, shivering sound of his wife's voice in prayer. Death was only a heartbeat away. He would not remember the thud as they bounced onto the rocks and rolled over and over, crashing and breaking towards the beach. Nor would he recall the screams of people who scattered in all directions as the car skidded at breakneck speed towards the sea. The clanging bells of the ambulances and police cars as they rushed to help fell on deaf ears. Like his wife and children, Tom was beyond all that. The next thing he knew, he had woken in hospital, both his legs broken, his neck in a brace. They told him that there was nothing they could have done to save Sheila or the children. Tom had been thrown clear, lucky to be alive, they said. But he wasn't lucky. He was angry, seething with a need to kill. Then he was sobbing, crippled with utter loneliness. All through that terrible night, the questions had burned bright in his mind. Who was the madman who had run them off the road? Why did he do it? Why? There were no answers, because in the months that followed, in spite of the police relentlessly pursuing every clue, the driver of that car was never found, nor was the car itself. It was as though they had vanished off the face of the earth. All that was left for Tom were dreams so real he would wake up arms flailing, yelling for the children to hold on to each other. Now, almost a year later, as his train chugged onwards, his mind came alive with thoughts of how it used to be. He saw them all in his mind's eye, Sheila, small and slim, with a smile that could light up a cloudy day, and the children, Ellie, quiet and reflective, and Peter, wild and willful, so different yet so alike in their kindness and generosity. He took out his wallet, pulling out a small photograph of them all. Bournemouth Sands, June 1951. It seemed incredible to think that that wonderful holiday was just a year ago. He was so tired of trying to piece together his life, tired of being so alone. Away on business, was you? asked the cabbie who picked him up at the station. Yes, Tom acknowledged. I expect you glad to be home, eh? Right again. But what was he coming home to? No family, no real home, 
and nothing worthwhile to look forward to. What is it you do? the cabbie asked. I'm an architect in a development organisation. We build office blocks, factories, housing developments, that sort of thing. The cabbie grinned at him through the mirror. Plenty to build and all, now the country's back on its feet. Lapsing into silence, Tom let him chat on. Here we are, Gov. Drawing his cab into the curb, the cabbie whistled with appreciation. Ooh, nice flats, these. I wouldn't mind living in a posh place like this, all on me own where the brats and the missus can't find me. You wouldn't like it, Tom said, climbing out. You'd be lonelier than you can ever imagine. By the time he reached his flat on the sixth floor, the idea that had haunted him these past weeks began to invade his thoughts again. It's time, he murmured. Time to leave it all behind. I need to get away from London and, and all the bad memories. Letting himself into the luxurious, soulless place that he now called home, he felt a wave of relief that the decision was made. Next morning, early, Tom saw a young woman from his window. She was hatless, her shoulder-length brown hair flying out behind her. He watched as she strode out into the busy street and hailed a taxi, the traffic swerving round her. When, in order to avoid hitting her full on, the driver of the black cab screeched to a halt, she calmly climbed aboard and waved him on. Tom laughed out loud. <laughs> That's what you call a gutsy woman. As usual, the office was a hive of activity. Turning into his own office, he was not surprised to see the vase of flowers on his windowsill. It was a kind of ritual on his return from a trip. Welcome home! Invaluable assistant and secretary to two of the architects, Lillian's long auburn curls were neatly pinned back in a bun. Coming into the office, she placed a tray on his desk. The flowers are splendid, as always. Thank you, Lillian. What would I do without you, eh? She smiled. You'll find all the schedules typed up for your current projects, your urgent messages, and a dozen appointments for this coming week. Oh, and the boss asked to see you the minute you got in. Taking a gulp of tea, he scanned through the papers on his desk before running up the stairs to John Martin's offices. A big man with a big heart, John Martin had started these offices some ten years ago and never looked back. He got out of his chair and shook Tom by the hand. You did a good job, son. I understand you had some real tough problems up there. Tom nodded. It's running smoothly now, though. But, John, there's something I... The other man intervened. I know. It's been one trip after another. And after this, I'll make sure you can keep your feet on the ground for at least a year. I promise. It had to be said. And without the trimmings. I'm handing in my resignation, John. What? What the devil's brought this on? I mean, I, I know how, how hard I've pushed you, but well, after what happened, I thought it might help. Look, I'm sorry, Tom, but I can't let you go. You're too important to me, to this whole outfit. Tom was adamant. I'm sorry, John, but the resignation stands. I've had plenty of time to think about it, and my mind's made up. The truth is, if I don't leave now, I'll crack. I'll work out the month if you want me to, but to tell you the truth, I'd rather go now, right this minute.